when David Jones, Russell Kay, Steve Hammond, and Mike Daly gathered at the Kingsway Amateur Computer Club in Dundee, Scotland back in 1984, none of them had an inkling of what they would bring to video game history. Later forming DMA Design in 1987, the team put together a few good shoot-em-ups that would sell well, but nothing would compare to what they started designing in 1995. Here, an idea to make a fun, addictive, and fast multiplayer car racing and crashing game would slowly evolve into the beginning of one of the most popular gaming franchises of all time. And what they ended up with was Grand Theft Auto. And today, we're going to tell you all about it. So stick around and join us for today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 112th episode of our Video Game Nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we'll tell you the story about one game, console, hardware, in this case it's a game, relevant to the current week in gaming history. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. This week we are looking back at Grand Theft Auto, originally released for MS-DOS and Windows in 1997. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host who, like the player in Grand Theft Auto, is frequently referred to as Wasted. He's my brother, Rob Casson. So Rob, what kind of Wasted are we talking about? Are we talking like White Girl Wasted or... Just, you know, just wasting away in Margaritaville, man. Oh, no. You turned that into a Jimmy Buffett thing. It's always a Jimmy Buffett thing. It's of course 5 o'clock somewhere. Where? Where's it 5 o'clock right now? Well, it depends on where you're listening in the world. Well, the West Coast while we're recording. So, I guess you're right. Hmm. There you go, Dave. Where is Margaritaville? You know? Uh... I couldn't tell you, no. <laughs> They're all over around here. There's a Margaritaville like an hour from here. What are you playing? Well, Dave, this week has seen a little bit of Rocket League, a little bit of RuneScape, and uh, a little bit of Satisfactory. Yeah. How about yourself? I had a chance to... At- Play a little bit of the game we're covering today. Some OG Grand Theft Auto. Found an old ass copy. Made it work. And um, Rocket League. That's really all I have time to do this week. So, Have you ever played the originals before Grand Theft Auto went 3D? Uh, if the original was also the PlayStation 1 version, it was. I have. Yes. yes, I have played the PlayStation 1 version as well as the expansion that was... I think London or something like that. Sure was. Yeah. So I played those ones. Awesome. So the story of Grand Theft Auto goes all the way back to the year I was born, actually, 1984, in which David Jones, Russell Kay, Steve Hammond, and Mike Daly often met at what was called the Kingsway Amateur Computer Club in Dundee, Scotland. It was a club for computer enthusiasts that met at Kingsway Technical Computer Technical College to enjoy their hobby together. You know, back then, 
computers was still a really niche hobby and you know people came together in small clubs to talk about it and what started as an opportunity to talk about new video games you know for computers quickly turned into weekly discussions and how to write them and they began to help one another with various projects they were working on russell k and david jones for instance were busy making a side scroller called moon shadow it would later be released as a game called zone trooper Mike Daly was writing a breakout clone called Freak Out that Steve Hammond helped with the graphics and level design on. Um, Dave and Mike also collaborated on a scrolling shoot 'em up called The Game with No Name. And each of these games represented a new technical achievement for individual members of the team. And each project was generally an excuse to show off their newly acquired programming skills. We've heard that before. Other other development teams here in what I like to call the wild, wild, wild west era of programming kind of were the same way. Every time someone would learn something new, they'd build a game around it. David Jones would move on from technical college to the Dundee College of Technology in order to continue his education in computing. Basically, it'd be like going from, a, I wouldn't say associates to bachelors because you know, Dundee College of Technology was also a two-year degree, but, you know, let's say continuing education. Other members of the computer club would continue their education here, too, you know, and other people would, you know, the Dundee College of Technology had its own club, too, and members would move to that college and become part of that club, and other people, you know, they'd get new friends, you know. So at this point, David Jones is working on a game which was tentatively called Copper Con 1. And he began to shop it around under the name of Acme Software. And also working on CopperCon 1 were K, Russell K, Steve Hammond, and Mike Daly, the whole original group, continuing to work here. Now, they took the game to a company called Houston Consultants. It was a company that had a reputation for producing high-quality games that were really known to push the boundaries on the technology of computers at the time. They, they wanted to really push the envelope on what computers could do. And every time computers took a jump technologically, Houston consultants would put out a game that took advantage of all the new stuff. So they, they took their CopperCon game to Houston. And Houston was game. They were on board. But they wanted to market the game as an Amiga version or clone, if you will, of a really popular Spectrum and Commodore game called Zynapse. Now... David Jones was concerned with the, how this would limit sales. He thought that if they were just a clone of another game, they wouldn't be as successful as they would if it was an original game. And so they passed on an opportunity with Houston and continued to shop around CopperCon. And instead, they found a partner in a publishing company called Cygnosis. Now, at this point, CopperCon 1 was called Draconia. It was roughly 1987 and David Jones wanted to finish the game and actually incorporate Acme software into an actual company. But there's one problem. Acme was already taken by a design company. So the group had to come together and choose another name. You know, there were, there are various names that came out. Visual voyage is one that was suggested. Someone else suggested alias Smith and Jones. Neither one of them stuck. 
in the end, they ended up on deciding to name their game development company DMA Design. Now, in terms of the company name, DMA means nothing. It literally means nothing. It it was taken from an Amiga programming manual. Uh, in programming, DMA means direct memory access, but they're not direct memory access design. It's just DMA design. And people would constantly ask the question about what DMA means. And it really got so bad that at one point, Jones or whomever, I'm assuming more than one of them, would tell journalists that the DMA actually stood for didn't mean anything. That's pretty good. But it means nothing. And they went with it. And in 1987, DMA Design was officially incorporated as a video game development company. Draconia was renamed Menace, and Menace was published for the Amiga in 1988, and the Atari Commodore and DOS in 1999. In it, you control an alien space fighter, and you have to pilot your ship through six levels of the planet Draconia to finish the game. It was commercially successful for its time. It sold about 20,000 copies. A year later, they started development on yet another side-scrolling shooter called Blood Money which was also commercially successful. This one twice as much so literally. It sold about 40,000 copies. Now Blood Money Blood Money was a very successful game. Various publications actually have still to this day call it the best shoot 'em up game ever published for the Amiga platform. But even with two successful shooters under their belt, you know, ones that were considered commercially successful, they still really didn't have that game that they were known for. This changed, however, in 1991. Rob, I think we've covered this before. Have you ever heard of the video game Lemmings? We have covered it before, yes. And it was a no, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I've never played it, never had heard of it prior to that. I know what Lemmings are. I mean, I've heard of the like the Lemmings, the animal, but yeah, never the game. So Lemmings was a puzzle strategy game in which you guide a group of lemmings. They're, they're anthropomorphized, anthropomorphized. Basically, they're made to look like people. You guide a group of lemmings through the, a number of obstacles to a designated exit. It was one of the best-received video games of the early 90s, and it's been ported over and over and over. Between all of the ports, it's been estimated to have sold around 20 million copies. So, I think that deserves a story on itself, uh, which uh, I plugged into the calendar for eight February of next year. So, I'll talk more about Lemmings then. But basically, you need to know it's a puzzle strategy game that put DMA design on the map. I mean, 20 million copies, man, you know? Yeah, that is uh, pretty, pretty big, especially considering that... The commercially successful prior was twenty or forty thousand. <laughs> right. Well, understand, <clears throat> understand that that's twenty million copies over all the ports over probably a decade or so, but still really impressive. So, yeah. So, Cygnosis, DMA's publishing partner, was acquired by Sony, bought out by Sony in nineteen ninety three. And that left DMA Design looking for a new partner. Now they found one, of all places, in Nintendo. Um, they start out working for Nintendo, developing a game called Uniracers. You ever heard of, you, you, do you remember Uniracers at all? No, I can't say that one sounds familiar to me either. 
I'm, I remember it. I just don't remember much. It's not like a game I was dying to play. Um, Uniracers was a Super Nintendo game that was published in December of 94. It's a racing game where you race unicycles around a track. That's that's what Uniracers is. Oh, uh, a, a unicycle? Unicycle. Riderless unicycles around oh. a track. Okay. The success, Uniracers was successful, uh, so much so that Nintendo offered DMA Design a publishing contract uh, in which they would publish an original DMA game for their upcoming Ultra 64 console, which became the N64. And what DMA came up with was an action-adventure game called Body Harvest. Does that one ring a bell? Nope. Nope. Can't say that that one does either. Uh, in Body Harvest, you play as a genetically engineered soldier tasked with eliminating an alien attack. Um, w- with eliminating an alien attack that happens once every twenty-five years, um, aliens come to harvest the human population of their organic materials. So basically, you're defending the world against aliens that want to are body snatchers. <clears throat> Sounds pretty gnarly to me. It was a cool game. Body Harvest was intended. It was intended to be one of the launch titles for the N sixty four, but unfortunately, it was delayed numerous times. There was a lot of communication problems. DMA really struggled to understand Nintendo's request, probably because they came through translators and nothing's perfect. Nintendo didn't really like the game because it's graphic, and of course, we know Nintendo for the longest time had a reputation of not wanting any graphic games on their platform. So between the two, uh, Body Harvest kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And eventually Nintendo just said, "Uh uh-uh, and they they pulled the contract. They scrapped the project. Um, Body Harvest was later published. It was saved and published by Midway Games and Gremlin Interactive in September of uh, 98. So now during this period, they were also working on yet another Nintendo game called Kid Kirby. This was supposed to be an entry in the Kirby series that was designed around using the faint SNES mouse that we covered back in our Mario Paint episode. Um, But there were delays in the Kid Kirby project, too, probably for similar reasons. By this point, SNES sales were on the decline because N64 was right around the corner and Kid Kirby was canceled just the same. And so here we are. It's April of 1995. And the team sat down to brainstorm. And what they came up was a project called Race and Chase. Now, according to the original design documents, the aim of Race and Chase is to produce a fun, addictive, and fast multiplayer car racing and crashing game using novel graphic methods. Players will be able to drive cars and possibly other vehicles like boats, helicopters, or lorries. Cars can be stolen, raced, collided, crashed, and have to be navigated about a large map. It's also possible for players to get out of their car to steal another one, and that means controlling a vulnerable pedestrian for a short time. Um, Trying to steal a car, for instance, may result in an alarm being set off, which will, of course, attract police who can also get out of their cars and shoot at you. Now, as part of this original design, Rice and Chase would have a number of different game modes. Uh, Cannonball Run, which was a straight race with the ability to race against bots. 
Demolition Derby would have been a free-roaming smash-em-up where the last man standing wins. Bank Robbery, where you rob a bank and race to a safe point while being pursued by police. And there was also a bank robbery in which you could play as the cop chasing down bank robbing suspects. Now, the bank robbing cop was really fascinating because the way they designed it, the game would come with a printed map and you'd have a radio dispatcher constantly calling out where the criminals were. Like, I guess like a real car chase, you know what I mean? And, And you would have to find out where the guys, the bad guys are and chase them down. That's actually really cool, and I, uh, yeah, would have been really cool to see incorporated. Now, the document com- continued to explain that when enough crimes have been completed, the player would move on to a different city. On the other hand, your game would be up if you get killed or captured by police. Now, the concept here had the game taking place in very, very large, multiple screen worlds, as the design document put it. Uh, they were three different cities, each with a different graphic style for each city. And around these cities, you could find pedestrians wandering about all of the time with some suggested pedestrian types, including school children and a lollipop lady. Now, Gary Penn, who was the creative director of DMA at the time, cited a major influence in Elite, which we covered in an episode about a month ago. As he saw it, Race and Chase was basically Elite in a city, but without quite the same sense of taking the jobs. You take on the jobs, he elaborated in an interview, in a slightly different way, but with incredibly similar structure. It's just much more, it's just in a much more acceptable real world setting. Race and Chase was based around cops and robbers, he continued. And then that evolved rather quickly. Nobody wanted to be the cop. It's much more fun to be bad. And so we evolved Race and Chase into Grand Theft Auto. Now, the development of Grand Theft Auto was hardly smooth. The original design document included a number of specific milestones. They had dates they wanted to meet. The game design being done, like the on paper, finishing the engine, first time someone would be able to play it, an alpha release, and of course, we're going to print the game here. Uh, for instance, end of production was supposed to occur on the 4th of July, 1996, but as we know, Grand Theft Auto didn't come out to 1997. None of these milestones were met, including the last one. Throughout development, there were various people that really attempted to halt development on this game for various reasons. Reasons that, you know, people found the game unstable to play. It was too simmy. Uh, One person just called it straight up awful and wanted to can it. Like, you know, uppers at their, their publisher, for instance. DMA themselves weren't really sure what they had for the longest time. It wasn't until they they were messing around with settings and they turned the police aggressiveness up that they really, when they did that, everything kind of clicked into place. They said, this is the ramped up manic gameplay that we're looking for. And by doing so, they laid the foundations of really the Grand Theft Auto formula that we know and love today, you know? Right, absolutely. At first... They were looking to make the game, just to put into perspective, with like a, a top-down 3D isometric view, kind of like what Fallout had. And when they began to mess around with the engine to do so, they stu- they actually tripped and stumbled on the top-down view that the game ended up having. And then once that top-down view was established, the team took graph paper and they mapped out the entire city on graph paper. 
and they used that to create this really huge map and just went went to go to work tile by tile grid by grid to put the pieces together but it, but even then there were other things that they struggled with you know the writers would write the missions like deliver this pizza to a house and walk away and they weren't really fun and so they really it took them some time and some communication to get from a, a breathing city where you can do a bunch of jobs to a criminal story. I guess that's the best way to put what Grant that thought it became as a criminal story, but they did figure it out. Otherwise we wouldn't be here talking about this game. They put all the pieces together and their marketing manager put it out to the world. And basically he was like, Hey, we have this game. You can drive cars fast. You can run over pedestrians and you can shoot people in the head. And the media was like, what the fuck? And so inadvertent, not inadvertently, actually, he did this on purpose. Smartest thing he could have done. He, of course, the media picked that up uh, and, and ran off with the violent game spin because that's what they always do, right? Anytime there's a violent game, video games are bad for kids. Video games are bad for kids. So the media just took it and run with it. And it was the best publicity that anyone could ask for, to be honest with you. So they got it out. They got it marketed. They finished the game. It was originally released on the 28th of November, 1997. You're wondering why we're talking about it here in October. Um, let's just go with this. The Game Boy Color version of the game was released on the 22nd of October, 1999. Good going, Dave. Hey, I always find a way to make it work. Yeah, that it's kind of amazing, though, the mm-hmm. legal loopholes you find. Yep. Still relevant to this week in gaming history. Actually... The Grand Theft Auto, the Game Boy version, was considered a technological achievement because they literally took the game tile for tile from the PC and put it on a Game Boy Color cartridge. And that was like, that blew people's minds. It's not it's not like, you know, most Game Boy Color games, they power everything down, but they didn't power everything down for this one. They um, The Game Boy Color version is considered a top-notch port. Well, damn. No, I, I, everyone knows Grand Theft Auto. I feel like everyone knows Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto 5 is, is the biggest retail media. I think it's the biggest media release of all time. If I'm not mistaken, I think it broke records, money records for everything. So I I feel like everyone knows what Grand Theft Auto is, but the Grand Theft Auto here in the beginning is not the Grand Theft Auto that you know today. You know, it's not a 3D open world the way it is. The original Grand Theft Auto was presented from a top-down perspective. It does take place with an open-world environment, so they did do that. And I get—I mean, I guess they're similar. You also play as a criminal who climbs. Um, basically, you do jobs to climb up the food chain in the criminal underworld, and you do it across three fictional cities that are very similar to real-world cities. Um, so I guess it's similar, but it doesn't look like the other Grand Theft Auto. That top-down view makes it very the first two very unique, in my opinion, compared to the when the series was reinvented with Grand Theft Auto 3. I I had Grand Theft well, we had Grand Theft Auto. You said the PS1 version. Obviously you played it somehow, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Uh I loved these games when they came out. I um I don't know. I mean, there was just something fun about racing cars around and putting bombs on cars and driving them into things. And I remember sitting on like a major road with like a bazooka launcher and just blowing up every car that came by just to see how many burnt out shells of cars I could sit in the middle of the road. I just ran around the map belching and farting. 
Yeah, there's that, that too. That was, that was it. That yeah. was the that was the main draw of the game for me. Because you know, I'm I'm a little kid when I was starting to play this, and it was hilarious to me. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was different. There wasn't anything quite like it, and I mean, there wasn't anything quite like it. I I, I really enjoyed the original Grand Theft Auto. Rob, am I the only one that enjoyed it though? How does that? How do other people feel about it? Well, Dave, IGN started off by saying that the bad boys of games is here: swearing, shooting, mauling. And ripping off your car. Mm -hmm. They say push aside all of the political nonsense. Pretend this is just a video game for a moment. Get yourself in the mood for a strange kind of innocence. When you're through to the other side. And you can play Grand Theft Auto with a clear mind. You're going to have to admit to yourself. Sooner or later. That there's nothing quite like Grand Theft Auto. Here. It's fun to be bad. In the single player Grand Theft Auto. Gamers take on the role of a low level gangster who's helping out the mob boss with minor tasks of thievery, drug dealing, and the sort. Your job is often very simple. Get from point A to point B. Fortunately, there's a lot of random fun to attain in the process, such as running over innocent civilians, stealing cars, beating unsuspecting people to a pulp, throwing others out of cars, and shooting lots of similar type bad folks. And we're just getting started. From there... Your tasks increase in difficulty, and cops and rival gangs get angrier. This game offers eccentric pleasures. In addition to stealing and indulging your criminal voices to the max, you can steal just about every car in the game. And each one drives differently too. Try to pick out the Porsches and the convertibles if you can. They drive the fastest. Also, random people will fight back or not let you into their cars. They continue on saying that Grand Theft Auto reminds them of the simplistic arcade games that ravaged the earth about 20 years prior. It's simple, fun, and carefree gaming. It's also got graphics from about 20 years prior, too. The overall look of the game is really quite shoddy for an age of such grandiose special effects and 3D realism. The graphic problems, however, aren't really such a problem, because really... This game can be playable with a simple, simple vector graphics engine and still be fun. But Grand Theft Auto isn't about graphics. Rather, the graphics are a symptom of fast food programming and careless design. Why can't I tell when my hoodlum is facing one way or the other? If there was just an ounce more detail or focus, then that problem would have been solved. Other little troublesome details are the less than splendid controls, which bring you to a point of wanting to restart. If you park a car too close to a building, that car is now worthless. You can't get back into it. Instead, you're forced to search out another car. There are other problems too, like the overall slow movement of your character, the low frame rate, and the often unidentifiable objects you're supposed to pick up or attain. These aspects are only worth noting because the game would be more fun and have more replay value if they were fixed, polished, altered or modified so this game as you can tell isn't for the graphic tart the mip mapping pimp or the 3dfx slut hmm. nope it's for people who get a little high from feeling slightly indecent it's really kind of a personality thermometer you can tell just by watching your friends reactions as to whether they're loose moral values or if 
they're uptight squares. They finish out the review saying Grand Theft Auto is a fun game, but you may find yourself saying to yourself out loud, hey, why didn't they fix that? Not a good sign for a game that has so much potential. It wasn't perfect. Nothing's no. perfect. It had all those bugs. It definitely had all those bugs, but, you know, you work around them. I don't think, I think people are way more picky about their video games nowadays than they were back then. Also, too, though, our, we have different echo chambers. I mean, back then when things were broke, we couldn't hop on the internet quite like we can today to bitch about it. Well, that and there wasn't quite the volume of games at one's disposal and easy, you know, with easy ability to get to. So, like, a game may have been much more out there just for that simple reason. You know, I mean, that's true. And you're still trying to get it out there to get money. So if people are going to talk about it. They're going to spread words and you're going to find about some issues. But hey, you know, there's always going to be some issues in the beginning. And hopefully in days like today, they get patched. Yep. In the old days, you just kind of learn to live with it. Yep. Next up, we have GameSpot's review. And they write that it's hard to say why Grand Theft Auto is so much fun to play, since many people seem to get bored with it quickly. The simplicity of the gameplay might be one factor. You spend most of the time driving a little car through city streets, collecting points for committing crimes. It might sound like a good time initially, but for how long? For many... The answer will be not very long. So what type of gamer will enjoy Grand Theft Auto? Let's reflect on your childhood for the answer. First, did you like Hot Wheels and Matchbox cars a lot when you were a kid? Second, did you spend most of your time ramming the aforementioned toy cars into one another and lighting them on fire? If you answered yes to these questions, there's a good chance you'll enjoy GTA. But that's enough psychoanalysis. Sure, it's fun to cruise around the cities in GTA, running over innocent pedestrians and hijacking cars, then using them to crash into each other for points. But your real purpose in the game is trying to get noticed by your local crime syndicate. To do that, you must successfully complete jobs for big points. Get enough points, and you'll advance to the next level and go on to other cities and bigger jobs. The more successful you are, the more difficult the jobs get. Some will be in multiple parts. Others will have a time limit. And just because you work for the wrong side of the law doesn't mean you're safe from harm. Blow up a car with a rocket launcher while standing too close, and you'll be a crispy criminal. The life of crime is dangerous and risky. Even if you don't get killed or severely hurt, the cops will be after you all the time. That's why patience is important. You can drive around recklessly all you want, but you'll constantly have the cops on your tail, interfering with your assigned job and the points you'll need to get to the next level. The easiest way to get the cops after you is by running over people or crashing into a squad car. And, unless you're sadistic, you usually run over people accidentally because of reckless driving. It can take as long as two hours to achieve one million points and proceed to the second level. Later on, you'll need 3 million, which can take as long as 5 to 6 hours to achieve. This is somewhat frustrating because you can't save your game during levels. They finish by saying that GTA is a good game that is highly recommended at a bargain price, but won't win any awards. Wannabe sociopaths who can deal with the shortcomings will have a lot of fun, and if you could save games within levels, it would come even more highly recommended. Yeah. Uh... 
at a bargain price, huh? I mean, you know, we hear that about a lot of games that it might not be worth the full price, but paying a little less, people can definitely find the value in them. So, you know, I guess it just really depends on the critic because, uh, you know, not everyone is the same. Well, I mean, the, it was a really mixed bag for the critics, huh? Everyone's like, hey, this is a fun game, but it's flawed to fuck. I mean, at least there was consistency in that. True. How do gamers feel about it? Well, Dave, we're going to start off with Petey Poo from Metacritic, who writes that this awesome game was mind-blowing when it first came out. You could walk around killing people and drive cars. Micro Machines was a fun game, but this is like Micro Machines where you can get out and blow up a cop car with a rocket launcher. The radio stations were the awesome homemade stuff that you got until Vice City came along. The humor was the best of all of GTAs in Petey's opinion. Just straight up rudeness with none of the social commentary of later games. The gameplay was so much fun. In GTA 4, you can jump your car and flip it around in 3D and get stats on how far you jumped and blah blah blah. That is nowhere near as fun as jumping that broken bridge with the cones on it in a crap car in GTA 1 was, knowing that if you did it slightly wrong, you would be instantly wasted. The missions were cool, and you got Liberty City, Vice City, and San Andreas all in one game. God, remember how much fun getting the tank was. Yes. <laughs> or finding a kill frenzy. Or achieving your first Garanga. Wasn't that the one where you had to run over, like, the, there was the monks that would always be in a row, and you had to run over all of them at once? You know, I was just going to say I, I don't recognize that whatsoever. That's not a term I'm familiar with, so I don't think I ever did that. Yeah, I think that's what it was, because there were those monks in orange, and they would always go in crews of like five or six, and if you ran them all at one time, that's I think that's what a Garanga was, I think. Well, I couldn't tell you, Dave, because I never quite got that, so I'm going to take your word for it. But that's, Okay. Yeah. Go quiet, Pentakill. Woo! Petey continues by saying the graphics, in hindsight, the graphics sucked, but when this game came out, they weren't a problem. You were looking at something completely new, so they were setting a benchmark for the genre. An easily defeatable one, but who was to know that? So, if you're some kid that is considering paying for this on Steam, you should be prepared for that. Because the graphics are bad. And maybe the gameplay is outdated for you. I'm rating it based on how I enjoyed it when I was a kid. Definitely gets a 10, and makes Skyrim seem as fun as peeling a potato. Okay. Yeah, I looked it up. The group of guys, they were the Harry Krishna, and a Garinga is a term for bonus where you run over an entire procession of them. Well, that sounds like quite the feat. Never uh, quite got that myself there. Yeah. Sounds like you may have, though. Wasn't that hard? Just, I don't know. Doesn't matter. What else we got? Well, Dave, next up we have Russ S. on Moby Game, who calls Grand Theft Auto more of an idea than a complete game. He writes that Grand Theft Auto is difficult to write about now, given its reception and, more importantly, its legacy to the gaming world. These factors overshadow the original game. Its instant notoriety when first released helped propel an otherwise simple and slightly behind-the-times game into the big league and secure room for the developers to capitalize and make vast improvements for the sequels to become quite possibly the biggest gaming franchise ever. 
first game takes an interesting premise. And really, it's all there is to it. You have a map much like the roadplay mats for children. And on this map, cars and people move around with limited independence. You as a player have the freedom to walk anywhere and steal any car you like and drive around this map. Running people over or shooting them and smashing up the cars. On top of this premise, a game has been grafted, with various phone booths around the city offering jobs which try to extract the most from the gameplay premise, such as stealing certain cars, killing certain people, stopping certain people from being killed, etc. That's it. All very fun and entertaining for the first half hour of play, but after that, it becomes pretty mundane. And as with most action games, the only way to secure interest is to make everything harder. I remember playing this for hours on end as a teenager, but as an adult, it all seems too thin. Variety is added to the various cities visited and cars, but that's all. The game is shot through with dark humor and is a relief that it doesn't take itself too seriously down to the infamous running over of Hare Krishna's, surely the controversy that made the series name. Well, there you go, Dave. There it is. Technically, the game looks older than what it is, though it can still be impressive that such a large world was programmed to function so smoothly that there's never lag as you speed across each city. The freeform aspect of play can cause some bugs to occur, and several times they had to restart a level as it became impossible to complete. They also found the, way, the top-down view to be incredibly frustrating as it creates a claustrophobic feel after a while of playing. Though, they see that it's a technical limitation not solved until the advent of GTA 3, and compared to other 3D worlds around at that time, it's probably best they stuck to this, allowing for a detailed hand-drawn world. The missions try to get every last drop from the game engine, and never really step outside of the bounds of it for the sake of story, and quickly become insipid runs that test the patience of the player rather than provide any motivation to continue the game. Freely available from the developer's website, Grand Theft Auto is really little more now than a historical curio of what would later develop into one of the idiosyncratic game series. True. It's, um, I don't know. I still enjoyed it, but it's not as enjoyable as the new ones. I mean, it's it's hard to beat the new ones, you know? No, I definitely would have to agree with you on that one, Dave. I mean there's just so much more substance to what they are now. Um, but for what it was at the time, it was definitely an enjoyable game. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, um, well, let's look at the legacy, huh? Sure thing, Dave. Look, Grand Theft Auto has quite the legacy. You know, let's talk about DMA design for a moment. Following the success of Grand Theft Auto, DMA design was bought by Gremlin Interactive for 4.2 million pounds in 1997. They worked on a few other games, including Space Station Silicon Valley and Wild Metal Country, also Grand Theft Auto 2, uh, before Gremlin was sold to Infogrames uh, for about $40 million in 1999, and it was renamed the Infogrames Sheffield House, which didn't do much after that, was closed in 2003. Infogrames, if you'll remember, was, we've talked about it, it is game publisher that 
through a whole bunch of sales and, and mergers acquisitions is now the Atari brand. Weird enough. The publisher of GTA in Europe for for was BMG Interactive. BMG Interactive was published by Take-Two Interactive in March of 1998. Some of the staff from BMG, including Sam and Dan Hauser, who we've talked about before, uh, came across and formed a subsidiary of Take-Two called Rockstar Games. It was formed as a subsidiary in December of 98. Now, the Hauser brothers were particularly interested in Grand Theft Auto. You know, they for all purposes, weren't involved much in the development of the original two, even though they were, you know, their, their company was the publisher. Most of the design went to DMA studios, but they really loved Grand Theft Auto and they really wanted to do something with it. And so they pushed uh, for the acquisition of the IP because even though that they had been integrated as the publisher, the game itself, DMA was still owned by Infogrames. So, Take-Two, as a result, ended up buying DMA design from Infogrames in September of 1999 for about $11 million. And like I said, also in 1999, Grand Theft Auto 2 came out in October. So this was all going on at one time. Um, Grand Theft Auto 2 plays the same as Grand Theft Auto 1. It's the same top-down, raise yourself through a criminal underground story, just different cities, different cars, things like that. Under Rockstar and Take-Two... DMA Design continued to do work on the Grand Theft Auto series. They were the development studio that designed Grand Theft Auto 3. Now, by this point, the Hauser brothers were more heavily involved. You know, one of them was a writer and the other is an executive producer on Grand Theft Auto 3. You know, they are the, they're considered the founders and still to this day, like the guys for Rockstar. We talked about the Hausers before. I believe it's when we did the the Red Dead Red Dead Revolver episode because they were part of the Red Dead series and we talked about the history of Rockstar when we did that one. I believe sounds right to me, Dave. Yeah, exactly. So, so in March of two thousand two, after Grand Theft Auto three came out, DMA Design became Rockstar Studios, was integrated into Rockstar Games, and was renamed to Rockstar North later that year in May. And as Rockstar North, they have continued to work on the Grand Theft Auto series all the way through the current version, which is Grand Theft Auto 5, of which we're pretty big fans, huh? Uh, Yeah, no, definitely. It is a, a game that has more play hours than many of mine. Well, I mean, single player or Grand Theft Auto Online uh, a little bit of both, actually. I've yeah. played that game campaign probably three or four times through. Really? Yeah. It's a good campaign. It is. Uh, I was also always trying to go for the perfect investments to get the Mega Millions. Gotcha. Which took me many tries because I often forgot trying to do it by memory. Yeah. I mean, the Grand Theft Auto, Grand Theft Auto has become, I mean, one of the biggest franchises. They're games that always rate damn near perfect they break sales records when the new one comes out actually they were in the news recently because grand theft auto 6 some hacker broke into rockstar's servers and stole the source code and some video from grand theft auto 6 and leaked it to the world and disappoint a lot of people because it's you know 
it's early, early, early development footage that should have never, never seen the light of day. And of course, people are going to bitch and moan about it when it's like not even remotely polished. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's that's like people complaining about buying a game in the alpha stage. Right. You, you know, it's it's what you're getting yourself into. I mean, it's the game isn't set to be released for a while. Of course, the games are going to look like poop now. Come on, you dummies. And shame on you, hacker person, for doing that. Well, we found out. What did we find out from the leak? I think the only significant thing we found out was that there's going to be a playable female character for the first time in the series. And uh, it takes place in Vice City. Uh, that's That's about it. So going back to that part of it was already known, but that part of it was assumed for all this time. But the video of the leak showed like the subway train that said Vice City or something like that. So now it's pretty much confirmed. So I gotcha. Um, But that's it. That's all we know. There's a a male and a female. It's going to be like a Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde type story. And it's going to take place in a modern day Vice City. There's all sorts of other stuff floating around. Like they're considering doing the, a map that they can constantly change. I don't know how they would work the game into a dynamic map. Maybe that means for online, the map can be dynamic, but who knows? Uh, but yeah, so that's so that's that. That's that's that. So Rockstar North currently working on GTA Five. Um, let's talk about some of the Six. other people. Yes, currently, well, currently working on Five online. Also trying to produce the next one in the series Six. Because they're still producing content for five for online, aren't they? I uh, I don't know. I yeah. can't, I I don't keep up on it that much anymore. We got a heist not too long ago. Uh, within the last six months to a year, yeah. The the uh, Kyo per- Perico or whatever. Yeah, the island. Yeah. David Jones, who we started out the story with all the way back in 1984, the founder of DMA Design. Ended up leaving DMA shortly after GTA 2 was released in 1999. In 2000, he founded the Dundee studio of Rage Software, Rage Games Scotland Limited, where they developed the PC title Mobile Force. Rage Games, the parent company, eventually went bankrupt, and so that studio closed. 2002, he founded Realtime Worlds, which is now known for developing the Crackdown series. And David Jones has managed to be a part of all the crackdown games, even though real time worlds, I think they shut down after the first one crackdown. It's a really weird story. How he got into three like crackdown three. He was working for a company called cloud gin, which was the software or like the technology that Microsoft was using to, you know, I don't know if you know this, but like crackdown three, the physics or whatever was supposed to be processed in the cloud to take that programming away from the game itself. Um, and it was supposed to be this really new novel technology that will allow these gaming systems to, to produce better and better games when more of the processing could be done elsewhere. And then CloudGen, I think, was bought by Epic. I think Epic Games owns it. Anyway, the end result was he ended up working on uh, being like a creative director for Crackdown 3.2. And now he just does whatever. So that's pretty neat. One of the other founders of DMA was Mike Daly from back in the computer club days. He has stayed active in game development uh, for many years. He was the lead developer on the Game Maker Studio game development engine, which I've used. It's a pretty cool game engine. 
And working alongside him was one of the other members of the computer club, Russell K. The one who has gotten the furthest away from video games was Steve Hammond. Steve Hammond was a writer and kept a pretty extensive diary of what was going on in the DMA days. I, I pulled some stuff straight out of his development diary. And he uses that diary to prove or misprove points. Like, for instance, someone tweeted recently that damn Dan Hauser created Grand Theft Auto. And he went back to the development diary and he's like, look, guys, only one time in the development of GTA was Dan Hauser ever mentioned. And it was some random plug where it said something like the, the studio guys from BMG came down to look at the game and Dan something suggested this. And he goes, he couldn't have been that important if he was Dan something. So, um, you know, cause it was actually that group. It was David Jones and that group that created Grand Theft Auto, the Hauser brothers. I, I, here's what I'll contend. The Hauser brothers made it a household name because when they bought it and they converted it over to the 3D world of Grand Theft Auto, that was mind-blowing. Or Grand Theft Auto 3 is what I meant to say. That was mind-blowing. GTA 3 was cool. Um, Vice City was great. San Andreas was fucking next level, I think. It, it was just, it was great, you know. But when they took that series over to 3D Realm, they put on the map. But they didn't create Grand Theft Auto. Someone else did that. Give credit where credit's due. So he's got his design diary and um, and he writes. He's a he's a writer now. He has his blog. He blogs online about things, still about the DMA days, still about other things. But uh, what he wanted to do, and even back then he was a text writer for the game. He was a writer and he's now a writer to this day. So so everyone has spread amongst the world. It's doing their own thing. Well, Grand Theft Auto becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And we are now eagerly awaiting the sixth one in the series. And the only reason why I want them to finish GTA 6 is because... No. Is it Elder Scrolls? Which one? No, never mind. GTA 6, then they get to work on... No, because Fallout... They said they weren't going to make another Fallout. Bethesda said they weren't going to make another Fallout until they finished... Uh, or another Fallout until they finished Elder Scrolls, which is what they're working on. And I, don't, I had a brain lapse where... Oh, Red Dead. That's why. They basically said that they're not going to work on another Red Dead until they finish Grand Theft Auto. So that's that's why I needed to finish Grand Theft Auto, because I'd like another Red Dead. So Okay. Yeah. That, that was, was that was something. Yeah, I know. My memory's not perfect. But yeah, so you know, we have a lot of games here and a lot of stuff we've talked about before. You know, we talked about the Housers when we did a Red Dead Revolver episode, and you know, Grand Theft Auto was was inspired by elites, which we covered a month ago. And there's a whole lot of all these these, you know, six degrees to so and so that you can cover here. You can find out more about all these people by going to these old episodes. You know, we keep them all on our website, which is www.memorycardlane.com. Also on memorycardlane.com, we have a calendar with upcoming events. We have a button where you can submit your own uh, memories of games we have uh, our biographies a link to our discord where you can join us for x y and z and we have a link to all of our social medias i am on various platforms as david is wrong and rob where can the people find you i am on twitch.tv forward slash f-a-t-b-o-i-r-i-p-z 
that is fat boy rips in case you didn't catch it so yeah Alrighty, well ladies and gents each week we tell you the story about one game relevant to the current week in gaming history while doing so we hope to teach you something new about the game what it took from the world as its inspiration or what it gave back to the world as its legacy and today of course that story was about grand theft auto now when we tell you stories the best 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 part about telling you stories is that we learn things too because if i hadn't told you this story i would have had no excuse to dig into the history of grand theft auto i do it each week week in week out so i can learn more and share it with you as part of this learning experience we like to acknowledge what we learned what's our takeaway so rob what did you learn this week well i would have to say one that this game took credit from elite uh i wouldn't really have thought of that until like really looking at it at a deeper thought level than just you know like oh it's space versus being on earth but it, it's it's kind of cool to know that two of my favorite game series have a tie to one another um, but also listing off all the intents for the game, a lot of it is, you know, the bank heist and just normal working to get up in a mob and everything. Um, but it is kind of cool that they'd actually considered having a time where you could be the cop and not the villain or the you know yeah. bad guy. I mean, that's, that's kind where, of an interesting thought. That's where it started. That, that's and, literally where it started. And it does kind of lend credit to some of the extra missions in some of the later games of the series, like the ambulance driver, the taxi driver. And it'd be kind of cool to have actually been able to do the same with the cops just to see how they would have done that. True. Very true. And, you know, with all these real life uh, servers out there that people are role playing, I think they would get a pretty good following of it still. Also true. That's it for me, Dave. What about yourself? What did you enjoy learning? I am particularly fascinated. I, I don't know if I if I spelled this out. I mean, I you know during the episode, I'm really fascinated by the fact that Grand Theft Auto. What and this just might be me and a bias, but I perceive this to be a very Western video game, a very like cops and robbers and criminal underground and and i don't get me wrong i know that like there was a london expansion all that but i just perceive this to be a very american-ish video game and it was created by a group of scottish people and i just find that such a weird thing but i love it i mean they really knew how to stereotype us americans I mean, I don't, I, that just, like I said, I mean, it's not like Scottish isn't Western culture too. I just, I don't know, man. I just, I, and it might also be too that our familiarity with Grand Theft Auto is now so entrenched in the Housers and the, the reinvention of Grand Theft Auto from three on that we're just so used to this being a distinctly American thing, but it wasn't, it, you know, it was Dundee, Scotland is where the first one was created. And, uh, I just think that's so fascinating. And and two, on that same topic, I had no clue who the DMA guys were. I had zero clue that the creator of Grand Theft Auto went on to create Crackdown, which is another game that I I personally I love Crackdown. I played all of them. They're they're fun as hell. Yep, agreed. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, I, I love I love them. I had no idea that David Jones created Grand Theft Auto. I had no idea who David Jones was when I started. Let's be honest, he's not exactly a household name, so 
Nope, couldn't have told you who he was either. So that oh. is kind of a, you know, now that you mention it, that is uh, another very good point because I am also obviously a huge fan of the Crackdown series. Yeah, so um, those were all those things that I learned today. Quite the education we received on this quite one. Quite the edumacation. Quite the edumacation. And thank thank, thank you for it. Thank God, right? Because I, I honestly, I Grand Theft Auto Five. You know, the series has progressively all the games have been seen as some of the greatest video games of all time. And I agree. They're fantastic. They're they're amazing video games. And I'm glad glad that's a series that's going strong and will only continue to hopefully get stronger. We'll see um, as time goes on. So Rockstar has this reputation of not releasing games. They're done no matter how long it takes. So I don't worry as much about Rockstar games as some other game publishers. As long as we keep giving them money for Grand Theft Auto Online then they have money to produce GTA 6. There you go. Yeah, there you go. So it makes uh, sense to keep producing more content for it. Oh, Rob, before I take it out of here, is there anything you'd like to add to today's episode? Well, Dave, as always, just want to take one quick moment to say thank you to all of you for listening. It means something to us. Don't know what. Different from me and Dave. He probably thinks it sucks. I think it's pretty cool every now and again, but you know... You, you know, you know, times come and go. But thank you. Yes, thank you. All right, Rob. Well, next week we're going to look at yet another game inspired by the success of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Of course, in the past, uh, I've we've talked about the Cheetah Men that were inspired by them, but we're not doing that again. We've already covered that uh, one. Damn. This time I'm talking about a video game that has earthworms and hamsters in it. Ooh. Shiny. This one sounds quite quite familiar yes shiny shiny earthworm jim earthworm jim was originally released in october of 94 for the genesis super nintendo and let me tell you i'm a big fan it was one heck of an interesting game we're gonna cover it we'll learn all about how it was made and what it did so join us join us again next week as we take a look at the shiny one and yet another trip down memory card lane to the thing Skibidi dap 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 doo 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 do